I want to as well wish all of you fathers in the room, biological fathers, foster fathers, adoptive fathers, stepfathers, spiritual fathers, grandfathers. I couldn't think of any other fathers, you know, but happy Father's Day to all of you. And um, this Father's Day is extra special for us as a family and um, really extra special for me as a father because just last month we got the official news that Abigail now is officially, finally adopted into our family and uh, there's a picture of her and so we are so... <clears throat> we're so uh, excited that... Uh, this journey with her has finally come to this conclusion, so we're celebrating extra special with her in our lives. Uh, as a dad, those of you dads know this, we will do almost anything, almost anything possible to connect with our children relationally, build a relational connection with them, to grow that connection, grow that relationship with them. We'll do almost anything for our kids to know and love Jesus. We'll do almost anything for them to grow up to be mature adults. That's our heart's desire, and it starts with us just spending time with our kids. I mean, all of us dads know, right? We've, at times, as our kids have been young, we've been on the floor playing Lego for hours, and we go to get up, and we feel like our back is going to be thrown out, or our knees are hurting, and, and we'll play... I mean, we'll play cars, we'll play animals, we'll play dolls, we'll do whatever it takes just to spend time with our kids. And we don't do this perfectly as dads. Um, I can so often remember times that my kids have said, Dad, let's go do this. And I'm saying, I can't. In my mind, I know I should and I want to, but I can't right now. You know, we don't do this perfectly, but we spend time with our children by any means possible. As our kids grow up, they have different interests, and so we as dads, and moms, you do this as well, but I'm speaking to dads in the room here, you know, we adjust and flex and are interested in the things that our kids are interested in because we want to spend time with them, and so we might pick up baking or gardening or craft making or, you know, we'll do anything just to get into the worlds of our children and what they're interested in in order to spend time with them. Through that conversation, relationships deepen and grow, and we can talk about so many things. A number of years ago, my parents bought our kids some older dirt bikes. And um, well, my kids love those. And so they love dirt biking around, especially my two older boys, Josiah and Micah, and Olivia as well, to a lesser extent. But she loves riding around on these dirt bikes when we can get out west of the city or south of the city. And um, so my kids then started saying, well, Dad, you got to get a dirt bike. And I said, we can't afford that. I said, you got to get a dirt bike, Dad, every two or three months. Dad, when are you going to get a dirt bike? I said, it's just not possible. So finally I thought, is there anything that I could sell, you know, to get, <laughs> for us to get, me to get an old dirt bike? And I thought about it, and my mind went to this 12-foot aluminum boat that my dad had given me years ago. This thing is ancient, but it still floats, so that's all that matters. You know, and so... So I put this up on Kijiji, wouldn't you know it, sold it, and then started looking for an old dirt bike. Turns out I only had to add about $7,500, as I can remember, you know, what I sold the dirt uh, boat for, and then almost had a tear in my eye as I saw it, you know, leave, and uh, got an old dirt bike. And so we love now dirt biking together as a family, and especially with, you know, the kids and I. We love doing that, to spend time with them, 
get out in nature, have great conversations. My point is, as dads and as parents, right, we'll do almost anything, any means possible, to connect with our kids so that we can invest in them and see them grow up to love Jesus and be maturing adults. So, with the same excitement, with the same passion, intentionality, sacrifice, and commitment that I've just described here, with the same, I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about his desire to reach people who don't know Christ yet with the gospel. Here's what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He says this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. The Apostle Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, I will do anything short of sinning to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything. All things to all people, all possible means. What an incredible challenge for me, for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. What an incredibly high challenge he set for us to prioritize and focus and allocate our time and our energies and our thoughts and all we are to help people who don't know Jesus yet come to know Jesus. What an incredible challenge for us. Now I want us to back up a few verses earlier to get a bit of a broader overarching glimpse of how Paul lives and structures his life and acts in order to reach people with the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to go back to verse 19 here. This is what, this is how Paul describes how he lives. Verse 19, Paul says, Though I'm free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. What Paul is saying here is he's talking about his relationship with Jews, and his relationship with those Jews who followed the Old Testament Mosaic law. And when he's around Jews and those under the law, what he's saying is, I don't want my conduct or my behavior to offend them, so I'm going to change how I act, and I'm okay. Paul's saying he's okay with taking on the Jewish traditions and the Jewish customs. And even when he's those that see themselves under the Old Testament law, he's okay abiding by some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. And he does this so that his behavior and his actions does not offend the people that he's trying to reach with the gospel. Paul is perfectly okay with the gospel and the truth about Jesus offending people, but he doesn't want his attitudes and behaviors coming in the way so that people might be offended and not hear what he has to say about Jesus. Going on to verse 21, he says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Paul's talking here about the Gentiles that he was in contact with and relationship with. 
And the Gentiles who acted as though they're not under the law because they didn't know God's law. They didn't know what it meant to believe in God and follow God and how God designed us to live. And, and certainly, he, they weren't aware of how or what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, when Paul is with Gentiles, he adjusts his conduct as well so that he doesn't unknowingly offend them and then they don't hear what he has to say about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Verse 22, Paul says, to the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. And to summarize it all, Paul says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. And why does Paul, why does Paul adjust his behavior and his conduct when he's around different groups of people, he says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Well, Paul's saying here, he will, he will do anything short of sinning in order to reach people with the gospel. He'll do whatever it takes. Any place, any time, any location with any people group, he wants to share the gospel with him. And so he'll contextualize himself into that culture. Again, not sinning, knowing, not going against God's laws or Christ's laws, but to not offend those so that they'll hear what he has to say about Jesus Christ. What an incredible challenge to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't this challenging for, for us to reflect on how we live in this world? prioritizing, allocating our thoughts and our minds and, and our actions and, and um, being passionate about reaching those who don't know Jesus yet. When I look around the world today and I consider all that's going on, the uncertainty, globally, crisis that's going on, economic uncertainty, conflict, corruption, war, disasters, war, it can go on and on and on. I think people now more than ever are looking at the world around them and thinking, what can I trust in? What can I depend on? What is lasting? And they're just thinking, there's nothing. And I think more than ever, people are searching beyond this natural world and asking questions about eternity and God because our world is just falling apart, it seems. I think people are open to spiritual conversations. And so what I want us to do in the minutes that we have left, I want to share with you five principles that myself, that we all can integrate into our daily living. Five principles that can give us handles, that can guide our actions, guide our thoughts, in order for us to be better equipped, really, to reach out to people who don't know Christ. Five principles that we can integrate into our life. And a pastor, uh, Dave Ferguson, he's the one who came up with these principles as he looked at the life of Christ these five principles, they're so memorable because they, they form the word bless. First principle starts with B, second with L, third with E, the last two S's. Bless. Just a simple, memorable acronym. We've taught this to our missional community group leaders and some leadership training we've done around here. So this might be familiar to you, but a good reminder. Right, of five principles that we can integrate into our life as we want to reach out to others who don't know Jesus. So, first principle is this. Begin with prayer. Just begin with prayer. If your passion for building relationships and friendships and reaching out to people who don't know Christ is low, if your desire to build relationships with others who don't know Christ is low, 
If you're burdened for people in your sphere of influence, coworkers, family, friends, if you're burdened for them, not knowing Jesus is low. Begin by praying for yourself. Pray for yourself. And just pray and say, Lord, here's where I'm at. Lord, I need you to raise up within me a passion and a desire. I need you to have my heart beat with the passion and intensity that your heart, God, beats and cares for people who don't know your son. I need you to do something in me. Pray that way. Ask God to do something in you so that you are more focused. You're burdened with people around you that don't don't know Christ. Pray for yourself. Pray for Christians. Pray for those at Center Street Church. Pray for your pastors. Just pray for everybody that we as a church would be burdened for those in our lives who don't know Christ. Again, that's if, if this is low in you. So begin with prayer. Pray for yourself. Now pray for people around you who don't know Jesus. Many of us have lists. We've got people's names that we can see often that they're brought to our mind regularly. And if you haven't done this, write names of people in your sphere of influence who don't know Jesus. Write them on your phone. Write them on your mirror. Put a sticky note in your car right by your speedometer. Just put it somewhere so that regularly you are reminded of these people in your life that you are committed to praying for. And you know, it's great to pray general prayers, like, Lord, would you help Amber come to know you as you know, your, your, uh, her Lord and Savior? That's, a, that's good, but pray specifically for people that you know. Pray for their friends, pray for, pray for their work, pray for their family, pray for them and their hobbies. Just pray for what's going on in their life. Pray for their, all of their life. Just pray for them. Lift them up to the Lord in prayer. Pray for others. When you pray, this is what's going to happen. As you pray for others, God will help you see these individuals who you care about in a different way. He'll bring to your mind things to pray for them. He'll bring to your mind things to talk with them about. He'll bring to your mind when he's moving you to serve them in some way. He'll, move, he'll bring them to your mind when he wants you to have a meal with them. He will bring them to your mind and, and show you and prompt you about how to interact with them. That's what God does when we pray for people that don't know Jesus. And as you're praying, as, as your passion and desire for people who don't know Christ grow, you know, he might just cause someone to stand out to you in the grocery store. I was talking with a, a friend last Friday, and um, he just went to pick up something very quickly at the grocery store. He ended up spending two and a half hours at the grocery store. <laughs> he ran into two complete strangers and somehow just got into a conversation with them, a pretty deep, meaningful, authentic conversation with them, complete strangers. That's what God might do. He might just have a complete stranger stand out to you and you start a conversation with them. Who knows where to lead? As you pray for people in your relationship who don't know Christ, he might cause them to stand out to you in some way, prompt you in some way to interact with them. Or God will do that because God's heart is for people who don't know his son yet. So pray, pray, pray. Begin with prayer. That's B in this acronym, BLESS. Second principle is 
listen. Just listen. One of the great ways that Jesus loved people was by listening to them. Just simply listening to them. You know, we've all been in conversations where perhaps we have done most of the talking. Have you left a conversation and you think, I did all the talking. I can't believe I just talked like that. I just can't believe it. And you feel embarrassed. And you've been on the other end when, you know, of a conversation when someone else did all the talking. And you leave that conversation and you think, did they care about me? Or did they just want to talk at me? You know, did they care about me? Did they value me? Did they want to know what's going on in my life? Folks, we need to listen to people and reclaim this practice of listening well. Jesus did this. Jesus often asked questions. He asked a question to someone, what do you want me to do for you? And then he listened. He asked another question. Do you want me to heal you? Do you want to be healed? And then he listened. Jesus asked questions and he listened He listened to what people had to say. There's a lot of times I feel like Christians are known more for our talking than we are for our listening. Just truly listening to people. I feel like we're known more for our preaching, perhaps, than our listening. And the proclamation of the gospel and the truth about Christ, absolutely, that needs to to take place, for sure. At times I feel like we as Christians are known for how we talk at people, talk to them rather than talking with them. And friends, I think we need to reclaim this principle of listening, listening well to people, especially those who don't know Jesus yet. I mean, how are we going to know their hurts and their joys and their frustrations and How are we going to know the needs that they have? How are we going to know what concerns them? How are we going to know what they're celebrating in life these days? How are we going to know where they're at in their spiritual life with the Lord if we don't listen well? Just listen. And when we listen well to the folks that we're having conversations with, and at the same time as we listen to the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit within us, God in us, is going to show us and reveal to us what to say, how to respond, what their needs are, what questions we could ask, what truth we could share, what stories from our own life we can share about our experience with the Lord. The Holy Spirit will work through us as we listen to them and then prompt us with what to say and lead us. The Holy Spirit is our guide in all of this. The Holy Spirit empowers us in all of this as we listen to people in front of us and we listen to the Holy Spirit. The inventor of the stethoscope taught doctors. He's the one that taught the doctors to listen to their patients and then they'll know how to heal their patients. Good doctors do that, don't they? They listen to you. They ask questions. They listen to you. And then they listen to our heart. They listen to our lungs and our breathing. They listen to our blood pressure. They just listen and then they know how to heal. Friends, let's listen well. Trust that the Holy Spirit will show us and lead us what he wants us to do as we interact with people who don't know Christ so that we can lead them to know Jesus. So first principle is begin with prayer. Second is listen. This third one, we are all going to love. It's eat. That's the third principle. Eating, eat, (laughs) eat. One of the great accusations against Jesus was that he ate with sinners. 
And you know what? It's true. He did. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus ate with sinners. And it's the religious leaders who said, you can't eat with these people. You can't eat with these people. You can't eat with these people. Everybody that the religious leader says, don't eat with, Jesus ate with. He ate with sinners. This is what he did. And eating together creates community. Eating together creates conversation. It creates hospitality. It creates an environment when we sit around the table and we look each other in the eyes and we we talk with each other and visit with each other and get to know each other. Eating together is amazing. It breaks down barriers. It opens up our hearts and our minds to the people that we're eating with. Eating together is amazing. And I was reminded how beneficial it is for families when children eat with parents. I was reminded of that. Listen to the benefits. Just listen to this. The benefits for children when when children eat with their parents. The benefits include healthier eating into adulthood, healthier body weight, lower risk of disordered eating, Less use of cigarettes, drugs, and alcohol. Fewer behavior problems. Decreased early sexual activity. Better self-esteem. Less depression. Better grades. Higher scores on achievement tests. Parents, eat with your children. Children, eat with your parents. Put the phones away. Put the screens away. Turn off the TV. Sit around a table and eat with each other. Dads, eat with your kids. Moms, eat with your children. Eat together. Not only for these benefits, but more so for the spiritual conversations that can happen when you eat together. When we eat with with others who don't know Jesus, when we do that, here's what can happen. Folks that we're eating with, they can move from being acquaintances perhaps and they'll move to becoming friends. That's what happens when you eat with people regularly. They move from being strangers to acquaintances, perhaps even from enemies, become friends. That's what eating together does when you spend that time with each other. So here's the question. Who could you invite to eat with you on a regular, semi-regular basis? Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus yet that you can invite be a part of your Be a part of your table. We all eat, so this is something that you wouldn't have to plan on top of your already busy schedule. We all eat. We all eat probably two or three meals a day, perhaps on average 21 meals a week, 84 meals a month. 84 meals a month. Who could you invite to eat with you around your table? Who who in your influence who doesn't know the Lord could you invite to do that with? That's the third principle, eat. So bless, begin with prayer, listen, eat. Fourth principle is this, serve. Again, Jesus is our example here. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says that he did not come to this earth to be served and said he came to this earth to live on this earth in order to serve others. Um, the, the verse that we just read earlier that Paul speaks, and he's, Paul says that he makes himself a slave to everyone, meaning that he takes the form of a servant. He serves everyone so that he might win people to Jesus Christ. He serves. 
serving as a tangible expression of love, a very practical expression of love and kindness and generosity to others. Serve. Serve those who don't know Jesus in your sphere of influence. When I look at our culture today, I just can't help but see. Culture is, just has an overwhelming sense of entitlement, of greed, of self-preservation, of, of demanding our rights and not laying down our rights for others. Where in our world do we see humility these days? Where do we see loving acts of service lived out and played out? Where do we see people just identifying with the weak? Where do we see people laying down their rights for the sake of others? Where do we see humble acts of service these days? Where? I was pumping gas the other day, a couple weeks ago. I know the gas station I was at, and uh, as I pulled up to the pump, someone else drove up behind me, and a gentleman got out of the car, and we made eye contact, and I smiled at him, and he gave me the biggest smile that I have seen in such a long time. <laughs> Just smiled back at me. And um, no words were exchanged. Just, I looked at him, eye contact, smiled. He smiled back at me. And man, that touched me. I mean, I remember it two weeks later. Crazy. And I thought, why did this just impact me this way? Maybe it's because we've been wearing masks, you know, wearing masks for so long that we don't even know what a smile looks like anymore. Maybe that's the case. But, you know, he just smiled, and it gave me joy. To me, I thought, that was just an act of kindness. I returned a smile. I mean, even, even just a simple smile, I was reminded can be an act of kindness, you know, to someone else, a way of serving. And there's so many small things we can do that just express kindness or gentleness or courtesy or just small, simple things that we all can do to serve others. And there's larger things that we can do to serve others. And I, I really hope and wish and believe that we as followers of Jesus Christ and those of us a part of Center Street Church could lead the way in Calgary by serving others. Serving others with acts of generosity and kindness and compassion and grace and, and just serving others so that people who don't know Jesus yet would see our good deeds and not glorify us at all, but glorify our Father in heaven. Because they'll, they'll wonder and think, wow, this is unusual that they would serve me in this way or be kind to me in this way or be generous to me in this way. Where does that come from? And they maybe come to know that that comes from the love that we have for others because of the love that God has shown to us. We just had a communion meal together. How uncomprehendable is it, the love that God has shown to us and the way that he served us? We can't comprehend it. The way that we have been served in Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ. Let's serve our master and serving others. Fourth principle is serve. 
Look for ways to serve. Complete strangers and people in your life who don't know Jesus. And certainly, everybody else. Fifth principle is this. It's story. So, five principles. The acronym BLESS. Begin with prayer. Listen. Eat. We love that. Serve. And story. Story. Do you know, and could, can you articulate what Jesus Christ has done for you? Could you share that story? Could you share the story of how Jesus has changed your life? Could you articulate that? Do you have a story to tell? Do you have many stories to tell? But what God has done in your life, in you, perhaps through you, do you have a story to tell? Can you articulate that? Can you give a, like a little paragraph story? Could you give maybe a one-pager story or an essay story of how God has changed your life, how God has intervened in your life, or what Jesus Christ has done for you, how he's changed you? Do you have a story to tell? Now, the answer is yes. You all have many stories, and we all have the same story in a very real way. We all have the same story to tell. The same story that we all have to tell is that we, at one point, came to believe in God. And we all came to an understanding that we sin. We are all sinners. Me and you, we're all sinners. And that our sin comes in the way of us knowing and experiencing a life with God. And God, out of his great love, decided to do something about that sin. This is all of our same story. And what God did was he sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, and Jesus died. And his perfect life and his death was the perfect act of redemption for our sin. This is our story. Jesus atoned, he paid for our sin. Our story continues is that we then place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And now we have a life with God, experiencing a life with God. This is our story. This is all of the same story that we all have as followers of Jesus Christ. We all have the same story, but here's the thing. We all have so many other countless unique stories of what God has done for us in our relationship with Jesus. We all have unique stories of how the Holy Spirit has changed us and has led us. We all have so many stories. Share your stories. Share your stories. You all have stories to tell about how God has answered your prayer in specific ways, remarkable, miraculous ways. You all have stories to tell about perhaps you've been healed miraculously by Jesus Christ. You all have stories to tell about how a gentleman that I was talking to last week struggled with anger, anger outbursts. Jesus has made him gentle. Perhaps that's your story. You all have stories about how perhaps God changed your heart from being greedy and envious and jealous to being generous. You could share that story. You could share a story of how God was with you and sustained you in your deepest, darkest, loneliest times. You could tell of how you felt in a very real, unmistakable way that the Holy Spirit was right there present with you. You could share that story. You could share stories of how God has freed you from a life of addiction. You could share stories of how God has replaced the lies that you believed about yourself with truth of who you are 
that could be your story. You could share the story of how God truly resurrected the love for your spouse, the love that you thought was dead and gone, but it was resurrected and changed your marriage. You could share that story. You could share the story of how God moved you to forgive what someone did to you that you thought you would go to your grave never forgiving them, but God moved you to forgive. You could share that story. You have unique stories, testimonies to share. And people who don't know Jesus need to hear your story. They need you to share. Share them. Share them humbly. Share them respectfully. Share them honestly. Share your story. And you're not really sharing your story. You're sharing God's story. You're giving your testimony. Your many testimonies. Share your story. And share your stories about how you and I are still a work in progress. Right? We don't tell those stories often. <laughs> how we're still struggling with sin. How we're still struggling with things that we've been praying for God to change in our hearts for years and years and years, decades. Share how you are still a work in progress in following Jesus Christ and how you don't have your act together perfectly. Share that story. Share what you're praying for. Share your story. And as you share your story, you're really sharing about God's amazing story and the work that he's doing in you. Share your story. The world needs to hear your stories. Again, shared over a meal, shared through acts of service, share Listen first, you know, and then share in all that we've talked about. So bless five principles that we all can incorporate into our everyday lives in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Bless, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, story. Share your story. Would you stand? As, unfortunately, as I've been talking to you, <laughs> um, who has God brought to your mind? Who has God brought to your mind? I have been praying that for every single person in this room this weekend, that God would bring a person to their mind. Who's God brought to your mind? And what I'd like us to spend a few moments now is to pray. What I'd like you to pray is, Lord, you brought this person to my mind. So God, show me Show me how you want me to act with this person, to talk with them, to pray for them, to eat with them, to serve them. God, what do you want me to do with this person that you brought to my mind who doesn't know Jesus yet? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to act? Spend a few moments now listening, praying, and I trust that God is going to guide you to a next step. Let's spend a few moments in prayer together. God, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, hear the prayer of your people, and Lord, answer 
and give us the courage, give us the opportunity to be able to act on what you're saying to us. Amen.